It's great to be with you guys today. My name's Jay. Uh, I get the chance to lead this great people called Cultivate. Welcome to our family gathering. Uh, the video that you just saw was just an explanation of Advent Conspiracy, which is a little bit of a movement that we participate in every year around Christmas time. And it's an effort just to kind of unplug from the rampant just busyness and debt and consumption that happens this time of year. And none of those things, if you realize, are actually congruent with uh, what Christmas came to do, which was to get us off the rat race uh, of finding our identity and so many other things. So, so the question that we always ask this time of year is, what does it look like for us to give a little bit less monetarily to those in our life um, so that we can give more relational gifts? Spend more time with people, give things sentimental type gifts that speak, you know, words of encouragement or truth or, or just help, uh, to, to friends and family. And then spend a little bit less on the things that we oftentimes don't need, the gift cards and the, you know, the, just the different things that we often buy this time of year. And then whatever margin that creates in our budget and our lives, let's use that margin to give towards people that actually do have a need. And, uh, and this year, um, we, we give every year to our community in Haiti called Shadrach. We have a team that's going there in February. Um, but they are in the process of raising money for a second water well location. Um, so if you've been there, many of us have. There's a water location there that's pumping out clean water. Um, that has helped to make the, the community a much healthier place to live and has eliminated a lot of the waterborne illnesses that are happening there. Um, but the problem is it's a long, long ways away from the school where we help to, to build a school there so that 400 kids can get a primary education in their community, um, but they don't have access to clean water at that location. So they've identified the location. They have begun fundraising. We've already been a part of some of that fundraising, but there's a gap of about $20,000 that we're going to help raise and close that gap this year. So the goal is actually us, along with some other uh, churches, are going to be raising towards that to, to finish off that final piece, and they're going to get started and actually build a well next year. So that's our goal. That's what we're, we're shooting towards. So hope you can participate with us in that. It's going to be an exciting thing. And we, we, um, if at any point during the season you want to give, just make sure that when you do give a gift that you label it Advent Conspiracy or Christmas Gift, something like that, on the, the envelope or when you give it online, just so we know that that's a gift towards that particular thing. Um, and we've collected in a final way on Christmas Eve. So if you want to participate in that and bring your gift at our Christmas Eve gathering, you can do that. Uh, that's at 4 o'clock on December 24th. Okay, uh, next item. Speaking of giving, we have been um, kind of in a year-end ca- campaign as a family to figure out um, how to, to what kind of income we can expect as a family next year so that we can begin to budget for 2018. We have some big goals and plans for the year, and we want to make sure that we, we kind of have the resources to pursue some of those things. So the way that we're going about that is by having a, a pledge card campaign. There are little cards in your seat backs, and I failed to mention this last week, so I apologize for that, but there are little cards. You can tear them off kind of halfway. There's a perforation there. Um, give in one half of that when we take our offering a little bit later and keep one half for yourself. But we just want to know what is the spirit laying on your heart in terms of your commitment as a family to, to cultivate for 2018 so that we can begin to do that planning. So um, if you've already given in one of these, don't give in another, especially if you don't have your name on it, because then we don't know. You know, We'll, we'll kind of overestimate what, what's been given. We also have a survey online. So if you want to go to the city, uh, which is our online community, you can get to that survey and do it that way instead of in a paper form. But just choose one method to do it per household. So that's what we're trying to get an idea of. And just uh, we ask that you'd prayerfully consider doing that. We're hoping to get that those in quickly. So if you know what your commitment is or even a ballpark, please do that today. If you can't do it today, then do it soon, okay? Last bit of house cleaning. Um, we, our podcast has been in a certain location since we began, and that location has changed. So if you listen to our podcast right now, um, or if you try to catch up, or if you listen to the messages again, uh, and you get to that through our website, the location for where that's located on iTunes is now new. 
So uh, you can look in our email, you can look on our website, you can look on the city. We've tried to blast that out in every way possible that we can think of. Um, but that location has changed and you need to update whatever way that you do your podcasting in order to hear that. All right. Good? <laughs> I think that's everything. Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, we are uh, starting a series today where, that we're calling Jesus Comes to Bring. Uh, and we are doing this through the Advent season. We're taking four Sundays to look at the story of Christmas. And we're doing each of those Sundays through the lens of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet that lived 700 years before Jesus arrived. And he's speaking to the nation of Israel about some bad news, actually. Um, and if you've ever read the book of Isaiah, it's one of these Old Testament books. We're going to be on page 500 today if, you're, if you need to know where we're going to be in the Bibles that we have. Um, but the, the nation of Israel has been not the, the greatest representative of God's grace poured out for them as a people. In fact, they've been pretty indifferent to God. They've been pretty rebellious against Him. They've been um, pretty oppressive to the people that are around them, particularly the poor and the downcast. And, and God is pretty upset about that. And so He sends Isaiah to give them a lot of bad news about the, the, the discipline that's coming that God's going to bring to the nation. And the, His primary tool to do that is going to be to remove them from their nation and put them into a new nation that's not going to be very nice to them, just as they've not been very nice, been very nice to others. Um, but the good news comes that in the midst of that experience of being exiles, being homeless, God is going to come to them and rescue them from that experience. And a lot of what Isaiah writes about are, is foreshadowing of what the Christmas story comes to do for us. And so oftentimes, especially this time of year, we, we find ourselves in a place where uh, we, are, we, we feel lonely and homeless. And, and you need to know that Christmas comes to bring you home, to give you a home, to give you one who can be your home. Uh, Oftentimes we feel like we are just full of sorrow and regret, and God comes to us in the midst of that to bring comfort. That's what we're going to talk about today. We we may feel like we're broken and and not able to be repaired, and God comes to bring healing. And so that's what we're going to be talking about through this series. Because the truth is that life really only makes sense in light of the Christmas story. It's not just something that we celebrate from Black Friday to to Christmas Day. Um, Christmas itself changes everything about the way that we live and about the purpose for which we live. And so that's what we're going to look at. So we're going to be in Isaiah 40. Let's take a look at that. We're going to be in the first 11 verses. You can follow along on the screen or in the Bibles that you have, or in your app, or whatever. Isaiah says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall be made level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. A voice says, cry out! And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. And their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The first... um, 
39 chapters of Isaiah are all about the bad news. And you get to this monumental shift in his writings when you come to chapter 40 and suddenly he says, comfort, comfort. What he's trying to say is that our God is a God who brings deep, lasting comfort. And that's news that many of us need to hear, especially this time of year. Uh, Because so often we move into the Christmas season and everything about the way that the Christmas season is structured in our country strips us of comfort. It tells us that we're not adequate, that we're not secure, that we're not with hope. I, I mean, and it tells you, you can have all those things so long as you have this certain experience this time of year. Or so long as you purchase this item this time of year. Or so long as your kids have this kind of moment this time of year. And it robs us of comfort. Well, there's been so many Christmas seasons when I've gotten to the end and I'm like, that's the last word I would use to describe the way my heart feels right now. So what are some of the things that we often look to to provide comfort this time of year? If you're new to us, we often dialogue uh, in our gatherings or our, our sermons. So what are some of the things that we, we hope that will provide comfort and joy during this season? Yeah, traditions, right? Things that may have given you comfort in years past or as a kid. And you hope beyond hope that, you know, if you just bake your grandmother's, you know, um, holiday bread, you know, or, or cinnamon buns or whatever, it, like, whatever was the tradition, you just smell that smell again and, and taste that taste again that it will bring comfort. Family, yeah. Yeah, those relationships that we long to see or that, that we want to see healed and restored. We, we look to those things to provide comfort, those people. What else? Jason. <laughs> yeah, we have a little bit of a font program. So we're... <laughs> right. Yeah, if I could just... If I can wow my kids... Or wow my friend, or, or wow my mom. Like the, like the moment that they open up that gift and they're like, oh, you got this for me. Oh my, my life will never be the same, you know? And we just, we want that like incredible moment of joy on our kids' faces or on our friends' faces. And oftentimes it doesn't deliver, right? I mean, even if we get it, how long does it last? It's just, it's gone, you know? Yeah. Right. The box is more joyful than the gift itself. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. I will know that peace on earth has come and goodwill towards men when my living room looks like a catalog. Right? I don't know. Because then you got to keep all those, you know, vacuum lines straight. And if, if, if even one gets out of whack, now the peace is gone. The comfort has been robbed. I, I mean, we joke about a lot of things, but did you know that God created you to experience comfort? Isaiah knew it. But not the comfort that can come from anything or anyone other than himself. Because Jesus comes into the world actually to be our source of comfort. And the comfort that He brings is a comfort that brings solace even in the midst of deep pain, deep sorrow, and deep loneliness. It can overcome and overturn even the deepest recesses of your heart, even when the the world around you looks nothing but dark. I mean, think of who Isaiah is speaking to. He's speaking to people that have been stripped from their homes where everything that they had, everything that they knew, their, all their culture, all their possessions, all the, the things that made them who they were, all of it's gone. They've been removed and taken away from all of it and forced to live among this hostile people that doesn't know anything about their traditions or their family or the things that make them tick. And they're just trying to make them into a people that they're not. And Isaiah says, even in the midst of that experience, when the Messiah comes, when God's presence comes into the world, you can actually have profound joy. 
Now you might think, like, how in the world does that work? Because that seems impossible to have that kind of comfort. And so we're, we're going to talk about it in three ways. That when Jesus comes into the world, he comes to bring comfort. And he does it through three of his gifts to us. He comes to us with his power. He comes to us with his glory. And he comes to us with his mercy. And we need all three of those if we have any hope of experiencing comfort this year. So let's talk about power. Jesus comes to comfort us with his power. Now you think, like at first, you think, like, how in the world is power comforting? Like, isn't power threatening? When we we think about people in power that have enormous power, we often think of people as bad examples of the use of that power, right? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? That's that's the way that we think about power. So when someone has great authority, great power, we go, that doesn't sound like good news. But the reason that we need to understand that comfort comes through power is because Christmas is here to make us aware of the reason that we lack comfort in the first place. Do you know the reason that you lack comfort in the first place? The reason is because we walked away from the comforter. We walked away from the giver of all good gifts, the the giver and sustainer of life, God Himself. And that's what Isaiah chapters 1-39 through are all about. They're all about the bad news of our condition. That as we walk away from God, as we choose not to make Him our King, but to want to be King ourselves, the result of that decision is a world that is driven by the power and the authority of humanity instead of God. That's why our conception of power is so on its head. That's why we shirk at the, you know, when when government officials seem to have too much power, because we go, this isn't going to turn out good for anyone. And you're right, it doesn't turn out good for anyone. But the reason is not because God has too much power, it's because God is showing us what it looks like when we have too much power. Because when we have too much power, we make the world about us instead of about Him. That's what happens when the creation becomes king. If you think of the, the context of the, the story of Isaiah and what's happening in the nation, that they had rebelled against God for generation after generation, and God said the result of this action is going to be exile. See, they thought that if they rebelled against God, the result would be that they would get to rule themselves. And God goes, no, it doesn't work that way. Because when you walk away from me, you end up enslaving yourself to everything else. You find something to be your Lord and your King. If it's not going to be me, it's going to be something else. And that thing is going to rule over you and oppress you in ways you couldn't imagine. See, but Isaiah makes this major shift in chapter 40 and he's looking forward to what God was going to do when he comes to rescue them from this hopeless situation. And what's surprising about the news that Isaiah brings is that he says when God comes, he's going to come to reestablish his rule over you. He's not just going to free you so that now you can think that you're going to be free unto yourself. He's going to rescue you from being under one rule so that you can be under His rule because that's the most freeing situation that you long for. And that's good news because it tells us that God hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't given up on you. He longs to rescue you. But you need to know this, that when He comes to rescue you, it's to rescue you from a life that's primarily about you. Because lives that are about us end up getting wrecked in the end. And that's good news. Now here's the way that He comes to do it. Isaiah um, verses 3 and 4 say this, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight... In the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged place is plain. See, verse 10 says, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, in ancient times when a king came to your town, he didn't just take any road. He didn't, like, if you had a town and it had a road going through it and there were all kinds of rocks and bumps and like, you know, 
every peasant and every person in that town would ride through that road and they would just deal with how, how awful that road might be. But when the king came to town, that road got straightened out. All the bumps would be filled in. All the, the mounds would be leveled out. Everything would be smoothed out. Why? Because the king comes in power and authority and he needs a road that's fit for a king. See, the road that the king comes on needs to be fit for him because he comes in power and authority. And the king doesn't debate whether or not there should be a road. He just says, there needs to be a road. I'm coming. Make it happen. Because the king gets what he wants. See, and here, this is the way that it applies to our hearts is if, if we want deep comfort, even comfort in the midst of sorrow, that when we, when we look at Jesus, this sweet, little, innocent, cute, helpless baby laying in a manger, we need to remember that this tiny infant in Mary's arms is actually the sovereign Lord who comes in power. And they think like, why is that important? Because when we're in times where we need comfort, we often think that God has just kind of come to restore our lives back to the way they used to be. I used to have comfort. I don't have comfort anymore. God, bring comfort so I can get back to the way life was. And God says, no, that's not the way I work. I'm building a new road. Because when I come through the town of your life, I come through as a king to make things straight for myself. I I come so that I can make a home in you, so that your life is no longer about you, but there's evidence now that the king has swept through your life and changed everything about you. He doesn't just take the suburbs around your heart. He doesn't take the beltway. He comes right through the middle like a Mack truck and he levels it along the way. In other words, the way that he brings comfort is to bring back the sense that your life and your world is primarily about him and his glory and his majesty. And that's the only way that the valleys of our lives get filled with his presence. Because if the valleys are going to get filled with his presence so that we're no longer living in sorrow, the mountains of our pride and our self-sufficiency have to come down at the same time. You don't get one without the other. See, he comes to destroy the areas that aren't yet under his authority. He comes as a king to remove you from the throne of your life so that he can run your life with his power. And this is such good news. This is such good news. Because the illusion that we are under the, under control, or in control of our own lives is actually keeping us from experiencing the peace that comes from knowing him as a true king. See, because when you're in control of your life, guess who it's all up to? It's all up to you. You got it. The reins are yours. So if you pick them up, great. If you drop them, guess who's at fault? The good news of Christmas, though, is that you're not in control. You had a need before you ever were born. You had a need for God's presence. You had a need for God's salvation. You had a need for for His resurrection in your life. You didn't even know you had a need because you weren't even around 2,000 years ago when He came to meet that need. That's how much of a control and authority He has over your heart and over your life. Which means that we can rest in it, right? See, Jesus isn't just some holiday card, cute little baby that you can add to your already busy holiday season experience. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the kind of king that comes in to give you comfort, not just when things are going well, but when you're in the midst of sorrow and suffering and loneliness because he is a king who comes in and says, see my mighty arms that can change your world. So that's his power. Now what about his glory? Jesus comforts us with his glory. And you see that in verses 5 to 8 when he says that when Isaiah asks, what shall I cry out? That the very next thing that God gives him is what he's supposed to tell people, which doesn't at all sound like good news to begin with, right? So Isaiah's like, I want to cry out. I want to tell people about your comfort. I want to tell them that there's hope. What should I say? Tell them they're like grass. 
Wait, what? (laughs) The people are like grass. Their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I'm having a hard time with this one, God. (laughs) This doesn't sound like great news. See, but here's the thing. The reason that God is telling him to do that is because what happens when you take something that's temporary and you put it next to something that's permanent? You realize how permanent the thing is that's permanent, right? If you take a boulder and you roll it into, onto the beach and you build a sandcastle next to the stone and then the waves come in, what happens to the sandcastle? It gets washed away. And then you end up looking at the stone and you go, wow, I should have been building that instead of that. See, that's what Isaiah is saying when he says people are grass. That you and I, we walk around our lives as though everything is everlasting. We, we live out our existence as though who we are and what we are and all the things around us are just permanent. Like they're never going to go away. Like they're all that we have. But then God shows up in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, the Eternal One made flesh for us. And we realize just how quickly we fade away. That even our attempts at being faithful. Do you ever try to be faithful to someone and then you realize how much you blew it? And you go, wow, even my faithfulness is like a flower. It looked good for a season, but it's, a, it's not a perennial. It's an annual. <laughs> the frost came, the hard times came, and whoop, there it goes. Man, I thought I was going to be able to keep my word, but I couldn't. God knew that. He knew that. He understands that even our attempts at being faithful are like flowers that wither and die. See, and this brings comfort. It really does. Because comfort is is knowing that there is one who actually never fails, who never fades, whose faithfulness to us will never wither, it will never die. And this one who never dies has been pursuing you all the days of your life. He will continue to love you no matter what the personal cost is to himself. See, compared to him, we are like grass, right? We do wither. And yet all of us at the very same time, we were built to experience glory that does last. A weightiness that never goes away. Now here's the way that our hearts work. Because you and I were built to experience this kind of glory, this weight that never, that never goes, this, this permanence of who God is, that we can rely on and count on all the days of our lives forever and evermore, because we're built for that, but we choose not to look for it in Him, guess what we do? We choose to look for it everywhere else until we find it in Him. In the 4th century, uh, Augustine said it this way, he says, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our, hearts, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee. See, before you come to know the glory of the Lord, the permanence of God in your heart, in your life, in your existence, the fact that you can count on Him no matter what's going on in your life, you look for that same glory in existence in absolutely everything else, and when you do, you are restless. You're restless. It's the cry of every soul on earth that we would find our rest in the love and security and the glory of God. And yet all of us are guilty of what Paul says in Romans 1.23. He says, They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. What is he saying? He's saying we exchange the permanent presence and love of God that gives us a, a sense of significance and meaning and importance for temporary imitations that leave us wanting more and more and more and more, and they never deliver. Uh, I was thinking about this last night. We, um, As a family, my kids have been bothering me forever to go out and get one of those inflatable uh, light things that you put in your 
yard to annoy your neighbors. <laughs> and we've been talking about it for a while, and last night we're finally, all right, let's go and get one. And so my kids are, ah! So we go to the store, and we're running around the, the home improvement store, and they had a sale on one. And, and um, so we were going to get one that's not so big and enormous and annoying to the neighbors um, because it looked like the one that was going to be really annoying to the neighbors was all sold out. And then lo and behold, the, the person said, oh, we can sell you the, the floor model. Oh, great. Yeah, great. And we're going to get the floor model. And it's enormous, and there's lights, and it swirls around. It's a big snowman, you know. And he holds his hands up like this, like, ha, huh, I'm bigger than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we bought the snowman and we bring it home and and I'm setting it up and and the whole way home my my kids are like can we set it up can we set it up can we set it up and we're like we need to like eat and make sure that we live as human beings first before we get to that so we'll see and then we get home we have dinner and I'm, it's the last thing that I want to do is set up this snowman in our front yard. Because I haven't raked the leaves in like four weeks, and so like I've got to rake in order to set it up, and it's just this whole process. So I'm out there like putting it all together and staking it into the ground, because apparently if you don't, like the slightest wind will send it off into orbit. (laughs) And, And Caleb's like jumping around like a bunny rabbit the whole time we're setting it up, and he wants to put in the stakes, and he's so excited for it. And so we finally get it to the point where we can turn it on, and we turn it on, and it's like Clark Griswold, you know? <laughs> Come look at the lights, you know? And uh, so everyone's like, it's amazing, you know, like aircraft are seeing it from space and all this. <laughs> it's 10 feet tall, you know? It's enormous. Um, so they're running around it, getting all tangled up in the wires and everything. And like three minutes goes by. <laughs> like, I should have had a stopwatch. It's so funny. So, like, almost a blink of an eye goes by, and then Caleb, my oldest, goes, let's go in and, and do the, this other decoration, because he was working on this tree that's up on the wall. And he bolts off, and Ethan bolts behind him, and all of a sudden, I'm out there with the jolly white giant. <laughs> Just me and him. <laughs> I'm like, well, that was, you know, anticlimactic. <laughs> Not even five minutes go by. And they went inside and the glory was gone. They forgot all about it. Until this morning when they plugged it in again and watched him rise from the the yard. Why? I mean, there's such this build-up. I mean, for, for years they've been asking for this thing. And the day finally comes when it arrives. And it's like the most glorious, light-up, inflatable piece of plastic you could ever purchase for your kids. And it lasts three minutes. <laughs> because the glory wasn't permanent. It's not, it's not satisfying in an ultimate way. They experience the glory, they're overwhelmed by it, and then they move on to the next thing. And guess who they're just like? They're just like me. I do the same thing. It's not with inflatable snowmen, but it's with all kinds of other things. And I think, man, if I just have this, if I just get this, if I just experience this, then then the glory will come and it's fleeting. See, we become so enamored by counterfeit glories, especially this time of year. Healthy family and good food and good jobs and a nice perfectly manicured home and the perfect Christmas experience or the awe of our children. And here's the thing, all of them contain within them a little breath of God's glory. This little... This little blip, this little light, because the one who made you and the one who made this world put himself into absolutely everything so that all of those little tiny arrows would lead us back to him so that we would experience his glory. But we get, we get satisfied with the little arrow. And we don't let it point us to him. But it can't give us ultimate permanent joy. If you look to those things as a replacement for them, they'll end up breaking your heart and they will leave you empty. 
there's a, a great book um, by the name of Traveling Mercies by Anne Lamott. And um, she's kind of relating many of her experiences of faith and, and um, knowing God. And, and she relates this one experience in the book that's really fascinating. And she, at, w- at one point, had experienced an eating disorder. And she was um, uh, middle-aged at that point. But she was kind of coming out of that and getting healthier. And, and she kind of got to this watershed um, point in her life where, where she was going to do something to kind of show that she had overcome some of these demons that she had experienced. And she decided that she was going to get you know her bathing suit on. She's going to go to the beach. She's going to have a great day at the beach. And so she, she goes to do that. She hops on a bus to get down to the beach and realizes that along the way there are two teenage girls that are also on that bus. And she realizes along the way that those teenage girls are looking at her then looking at themselves and they're laughing at her. And um, to her credit, or maybe God is revealing this to her, instead of having that kind of shatter her self of her, her sense of self-identity and security, uh, she says this, which I think is, is um, brilliant. She says, I knew their secret. That they didn't think that they were okay. That they were already in the hyper self-consciousness of the American teenage girl, which meant that they were doomed. See, the reason that those girls had to tear down Anne's glory is because they knew deep down inside that their glory wasn't enough. That one day their glory would fade too. And because of that, they are already in a place of such insecurity that they need to tear others down in order to lift themselves up. So the truth though is that no matter how beautiful you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how successful or powerful you may be, everything that you look to as an alternative weight of glory will fade in the end and it will fail you and leave you empty, leave you insecure because they can't last. Now, the good news of Christmas is that there is one who does. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's why we sing glory, right? We're going to sing it in a little bit. Glory in the highest. That's what the angels sing when, when Jesus appears. And the reason that they do that is because the permanent glory of God brings everlasting peace when we are in His presence. Jesus was born to flood the world with His glory, with something that doesn't fail us. That's why 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let there be light that shines out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What is He saying? That as we look upon the face of Jesus again, we find a permanent glory. Because when we look upon His face and we hear His voice speak words of life over us, we realize He's saying, I am the one you've longed for. I'm the one that you've been running around your whole life to seek after and you haven't found it yet. I'm here. I've arrived. And I alone can give you that permanent sense of peace in your life. I alone will never leave you or forsake you. What are you looking for? Are you looking for love? Are you looking for security? Are you looking for significance? Are you looking for importance? I have it all. I have all those things and I give them all freely away to those who come to me. Now you might be in a season of your life where you're like, I, I want to believe that. And maybe I've experienced those things in the past, but I'm, I'm, I look around the landscape of my life right now and I don't see a whole lot of glory. All I see is sorrow, or all I see is loneliness, or all I see is pain. And I I just notice what Isaiah says when he speaks to these people. He, He addresses them by a name they have no right to earn. He says, my people, Jerusalem. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Where do they live? Not in Jerusalem. They're not Jerusalemites. They live in Babylon. They're Babylonians. They live hundreds of miles away. They're as far from Jerusalem as they possibly could be. And yet, Isaiah is saying, if you're, my, 
if you're God's people, and God's saying this, if you're my people, no matter what the circumstances of your life are, no matter where you happen to be located today, I've already brought you to Jerusalem. I've already put Jerusalem in you. And that's the crazy part about Christmas. Not just that Jesus comes into the world and says, great, good luck, I died for you. You have my, you know, you've been forgiven of your sins. Take it from here, folks. No, he goes, I'm going to be in you until the day that I come for you. You have the king living in your heart if you've come to faith in Christ. You have heaven in you. So it doesn't, I mean, to some level, it doesn't even matter what you see around you because what in you is, what is in you is, is the one who's overcome your circumstances. It's the one who's overcome the world. In some ways, we need to stop looking at the, 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 the world around us to give us our sense of who we are and start looking to the one who made a home in our hearts. Because the true king has come to take up residence in you. And that's part of the reason why we need a community like this. Why you need a community not just on Sundays even, but even in your homes, is to be around a group of people that reminds you of the reality of what's actually true, which is that heaven lives inside of you today. See, if we don't have that, then our only choice is to be just tossed to and fro by the waves of this world. We need to come back to our senses over and over and over again. That's the great news of Christmas, is that we have an opportunity to do that. To look up from our, our existence and to look back to Him and go, oh yeah, that's what's true. I forgot all about it. I need Him again. Now here's the thing, if we're going to be comforted by Jesus' power and His glory, we also need His mercy. We need His mercy. Um, because you can't have Jesus' power and glory as a king without His mercy alongside of you. Because as I said at the beginning, the whole reason that we need Christmas in the first place is because we've walked away from our king. I don't know, how many of you have ever lived under a king? Like an earthly king? None of us, right? Not even Pete can say that. (laughs) Do you know what it means to, to... when you are treasonous against the king, when you walk away from the authority of the king and say, I no longer want you as my king, you are, you are guilty of treason. And in most kingdoms of the world, that is punishable by death. And so when Jesus says, I'm coming to you in power and glory as the king of the world that you rejected, If he doesn't come with mercy, that's not good news because he's coming as a warrior, not as a shepherd. He's coming to make war against you. He's coming to exact payment from you. He's coming to to restore justice. And he has every right to do so if he's the true king of the world. Please don't mistake that and think that he is doing something that is outside his ability to do. If we are his creation and he is our creator, we have We owe absolutely every breath to him, and yet we don't do it. And that's cosmic treason. And so, in order for him to come to us as a king who doesn't come to destroy us, he needs to come with mercy and not just justice. And yet, here's what Isaiah says about him. He comes as a shepherd. To collect us in his arms. And so you got like, how does that work? (laughs) Because if I'm seeing things correctly, he should come to require payment, not give mercy. And the answer is in verse 2. When Isaiah says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Double. Like, if you know the timeline of things, you would understand that this statement actually makes absolutely no sense. None. Because Israel as a nation was rebellious against God for hundreds of years. Do you know how long they were in exile? Seventy. 
How in the world is 70 years enough to pay for 400 and not just do it once, but twice? It makes no sense. And the answer is, Israel wasn't the one to pay for her sins. Someone else had to do it. And, that, and the key to understanding that is that word double, because whoever it is that went and paid for the sins of Israel, the sins of humanity, didn't just give the minimum amount due, but gave enough and had enough in their spiritual bank account to pay twice what was needed. Who in the world has the ability to do that? Only the king himself. Only the king himself has that kind of coin to come and pay for it twice and not once. See, if you lived in... Here's the thing, though. If, if you were Isaiah's first audience and you get this letter from Isaiah and he's saying, great news, your sins have been paid for twice, your, your question back to Isaiah would be, huh? Because <laughs> we're still in exile here. What in the world are you talking about? We have no idea what he means by this. And you wouldn't. Not until the New Testament. It's fake news. What's that? It's fake news. Fake news. <laughs> Just not news that's been realized yet. See, because once you read the Gospels, once you read the New Testament, you begin to understand that the king becomes the lamb who pays the debt for the world so that the king can then come to save instead of destroy. And Jesus is the one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who lays down his crown and lays down his life for his sheep so that they could be paid for in full. God himself comes into the world and takes the brokenness and the messiness of our existence here Upon himself. See, when you realize how merciful God has been to you to send his own son to pay your debt, the fact that he came not to extract payment, but to be payment for you, then you're able to marvel at his glory. Then you're able to receive his power. Then you can say with Isaiah in verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. And that won't be bad news to you, that'll be good news because now you're, in his, you're his citizen. And you'll want his powerful arms around you. And the reason that you'll know that those powerful arms are there to save you is because Isaiah says, see his reward is with him. His reward is with him. Now, what in the world is he talking about? What is God's reward? I mean, talk about trying to buy the perfect gift for someone at Christmas. How do you get the king of glory something when he has everything? <laughs> There's no shopping mall on this planet that has something that he doesn't already have. So what do you get the king who has everything? What it could possibly be his reward? Is the only thing that he didn't have before Christmas which was you. You're his great reward. You're his prize. You're his joy. You're the best part of his day. See, read this with yourself in mind. In verse 11, he tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He leads, he gently leads those that have young. I was thinking about this the other night when I was putting my oldest son to bed. And um, I, it's become one of my favorite times. Not the time before they get in bed, because that's chaos. Right up until the sheets go over them. <laughs> so it's like, crazy, crazy, ah, this is horrible. Ah, you know. Um, but one of the things that I... Re- it's, it's, it's become one of the best parts of my day is... Um, you know, I have a seven-year-old at this point, and he's starting to grow up a little bit, and he he enjoys hugs a little less than he used to, and affection a little, just a little bit less. And I I kind of see it as just the the first domino to fall, right? And I'm just so I'm trying to enjoy all those moments of of tenderness that I get with him these days. But and one of those moments of tenderness comes when I put him to bed, and I go to give him a hug, 
and I wrap my arms around him while he's still laying in bed because when I do that, do you know what he does? He goes, <sighs> and he just exhales. And, and I mean, I don't know exactly why he does it. He probably feels safe. He probably feels uh, a sense of my love for him and hopefully God's love for him in that moment. But I know what I feel as a dad. I, I'd long for that moment. That, br- that moment with him brings me incredible joy. When I wrap my arms around my son and I feel him rest and, and just fall into my embrace. It's a moment I look forward to. Uh, what it means for him to be a shepherd and you to be his joy means that he has infinitely more joy over that same moment when you do that in his arms. Isn't that good news? And I think that's what cuts through everything for me when I think about Christmas is that God came into the world to pay our debt, to bring us home so that you would draw near to him and he could draw near to you. Because the fact is, he can't wait for you to, to discover him again. He can't wait for you to fall into his power, into his glory, and into his mercy once more. And Advent is a great season of the year to rediscover that, isn't it? Let's not get hijacked by all the rest. Because you don't need to find this anywhere else. You don't need to tear anyone else down to get it. You don't need to feel insecure that you don't have it. You can find your rest and your joy in the one who finds their joy in you. There's a great, um, my favorite Christmas hymn is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And I'm not going to sing it, Dave, I'm sorry. But maybe you can do that in a second. But um, these are the words of the, of the opening It says, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Let's pray. Father, we were meant to experience our joy in You and we, as Your creation, run to so many other things. Thank You, God, that You didn't come to extract payment for that, but You came to be the payment to bring us back. Thank You that You long to embrace us in Your arms. Please help us to feel that embrace and to long for it too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.